We're studying the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 18. I'm going to begin reading with verse 24. The title of my message will be, How to Be a Defender of the Faith. But we'll walk through the text before we get to today's sermon. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he only knew John's baptism. Now, there's going to be a contrast between this week and next week. Next week, we'll meet some people who are baptized by John, and they got to go all the way to the beginning line and start all over again. Apollos didn't. All he needed was just to have a little more instruction on what things meant. So what would he have known? And there's a great chance that Apollos was one of John's main leaders, that he would have been there from the early days all the way to when John sent the messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? He would have been there when John was arrested and had grieved when John's head was cut off. But now this man is preaching Jesus and he's preaching accurately. Well, think of what he would have learned just by being associated with John the Baptist all that time. First of all, he would have heard John say, don't you trust in being a Jew? God can turn a, make a, one of these stones into the son of Abraham. You need to repent and get ready for the kingdom of God. Don't rest on your heritage. You need to get right with God. He would have heard the voice of the Father when Jesus was baptized say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He, he would have seen John point to Jesus after that and say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He would have heard that answer that, that Jesus gave when John sent the messenger saying, Are you the one? You remember how Jesus didn't even bother answering at first? He just went healing a bunch of people. He said, Now go report what you've seen. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The, good new, the poor have the good news preached to them. And of course, by this time, here we are in the book of Acts, we're toward the middle of the 8050s. By this time, Apollos would have known, even if he went back to Egypt, that Jesus was crucified and rose again because everybody was talking about those facts. So what was needed was for him to get a little more information to understand all those good things that John had told him. So let's go to the next verse. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the word of God to him more accurately. And uh, Now, Aquila and Priscilla are a good model for us, for, for folks, on how to correct people. I like the fact that it said they took him aside. One of the things I feared through the years as a preacher is that somebody would raise their hand during the middle of the sermon and say, Hold on, I don't agree with that. <laughs> Thank God that hasn't happened. And uh, deacons, let's don't let it happen. <laughs> But you can imagine. So here, they're listening to him. They're seeing this guy has so much understanding from having been with John so long. But there's a couple of things we can add that will help him appreciate it. Probably what they told him was, yes, you heard that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let me explain to you how that happened on the cross and in the resurrection. So they just quietly took him aside. They didn't correct him in public. They had a private meeting. But it also commends Apollos because he was a learner. He's from the city in the empire that had the biggest library in the world. He would have, was probably far more educated than these two tent makers. But here he is willing to listen to a man and his wife share with him 
some insights that he needed to get. He was willing to be instructed in the Lord. And this was a, by the way, a husband and wife teaching team. Can I just chase this rabbit just a little? Folks, we need to hear in the church, not only the insights of men, we also need to hear the insights of women. Both Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. Well, let's read on. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Now let me explain what Achaia is. Corinth was Achaia. So here they are. They've, they've left, uh, uh, gone over to Apollos, um, Priscilla and Aquila have gone over the the Mediterranean, over to Ephesus. They meet this man and say, you know what? We'd love it if you went back to where we just came from, to that church at Corinth. Go help them. They're newer Christians. And he took off and went back there. And evidently, Apollos made a great impact on their lives. Because listen to what Paul would say later on when he wrote back to the Corinthians in 1 Peter 3, verse 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So Paul talking about this church said, I'm glad that you had someone besides me to speak into your life. I was there at the first. I helped lead you to Christ. I got the church grounded and started. But then another man came along, Apollos, and he helped water. But you got to understand this. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It is God who brings the increase. So you can see that, that Apollos made a great impact. Now, I'm going to talk to you heart to heart because I'm talking to my traditional folks. One of the things that we're having to do during this three months is we don't have the ability to do a recording at 815 and play it at the modern service. So we're going to have live preaching every week. And because we want both groups to feel equally important, what is happening is that Justin and I will be alternating. So Justin next week will be preaching. Now what we're doing is we have met this week. He's preaching today over there. We have the exact same text, the exact same outline, a couple of different illustrations. So he's going to speak from his heart, but we're going to cover the same material. But let me encourage you to do this. Don't be jumping back and forth between the two following a preacher. I would love for you to stay here and and hear both of us. And I think what you're going to find is you're going to find some new insights into God's Word when you hear it from another person's heart. I learn from Justin because we're two different generations. And he'll be sharing some things that pop out of the Scripture when we're having our discussion. We're talking all this through. So I I believe it's going to be a, a thing that will bless you just as Paul and Apollos both were a blessing for Corinth. Now verse 28. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public demonstrating through the Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Vigorously refuted. Can I tell you what that really means? He went in there and told them, y'all are wrong. Now folks, one of the tasks that we have, and we've got to do it graciously, we've got to do it lovingly, but you can't be a witness anywhere, but you can't be a witness in this crazy world now without occasionally looking at somebody in love and saying, Have you really thought through what you're saying? Do you realize the implications of what you've just stated that you say are true? There's so many things that that the lost world is saying now that really if you thought it through, you'd see that that dog won't hunt. That just just can't be true. Uh, I'll give you a couple of things as, as an example. One of the most popular things people say is this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. 
Just go find the religion or philosophy or whatever. Just whatever gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling. Just go for that because it doesn't matter as long as you believe it. Well, suppose you were to go to a doctor and say, Doctor, I've been having some severe pains right here. and I'm, I'm telling you, it's keeping me up at night. What should I do? And if the doctor looked at you and said, well, different things work for different people. So what I want you to do is just go to the pharmacy. Start walking down the aisles. And if you come across a section of the pharmacy where the drugs are, and you start, all, all of a sudden, you feel drawn to a specific drug. You get a good feeling about that drug. Then just take that drug, because it really doesn't matter what you believe. As long, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what drug you take as long as you believe in that drug. Well, that man would not be a doctor for very much longer, would he? And you wouldn't be alive for very much longer. So folks, saying things like that. Here's another one I hear oftentimes. Don't all religions basically teach the same thing about God? Have you ever heard that said? Don't all religions basically teach the same thing about God? Have you checked them out? The Hindus teach that there are a million or more gods. We believe that there's one God who's made himself known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Muslims teach that you can't get into heaven unless you have a, enough works to outweigh your good works to outweigh your bad works. You've got to do the five pillars and if you can get through those, but no one will know until they stand before God whether or not they have earned a place in paradise. And here's the gospel that says he gives us a gift that we receive by faith, paid for by Jesus. Folks, those, those are diametrically opposed to each other. Both cannot be true. And, and let me give you one more thought before I finally get to my points. When I sit here and say... Basically, what we have to do is lovingly and graciously be willing to tell folks that what they believed in is not right. It's not, not accurate. Do you realize that's what we do when we send missionaries out? This church holds its head high because we're one of the strongest givers to Southern Baptist missions. And I praise God for your generosity and the fact that we make an impact around the world. But folks, if you realize where we're sending missionaries, we're sending missionaries to Hindu lands, to Buddhist lands, to Muslim lands. And it's not that they don't already have a religion, but we go there and we want to say to them, we're not here being disrespectful, but there's something you've never heard. There's good news beyond what you can ever imagine. And it's the way, the truth, the life. Uh, folks, the reason why we've got to insist that you've got to understand the gospel and believe what God says is because the souls of people are at stake. Let me give you an example. A young man who died of cancer, and that, that broke my heart because he was being used by God so greatly, was a man named Nabil Qureshi. The Qureshi was the tribe that Muhammad was from, and they were proud of that. He grew up in a strong Muslim family. He said five times a day he stood behind his father as the father led their family in the prayers that you would pray every day in Arabic. He said by age five he had recited the entire Quran in Arabic and he had memorized the last seven chapters in Arabic. By the time he was 15, he would memorized the last 15 chapters of the Quran in both Arabic and English. But the thing he enjoyed most was he enjoyed having roast Christian for lunch. He said by the time he got to middle school, he knew how to ask the questions that could just rattle any Christian. Now, why do you say that Jesus is God when he worshiped God? 
Explain the Trinity to me. And he said, oftentimes they would say, well, that's just a mystery. And he would say, it's a mystery to me how you can believe in it. And he just, he, he, every Christian that he confronted, he won the battle. So when he got to Old Dominion University, he found a man named David Wood who became his best friend. Uh, he said one day he looked at his best friend who they really hit it off. But he was reading the Bible and he thought, how can somebody that intelligent be reading a Bible? So he started on his standard attacks. How can you trust a Bible when there's so many translations? We've got this one incredible uh, holy Koran. And how can you believe in Jesus as the Son of God? And let me read to you what he said. David didn't react like other Christians I had challenged. He didn't waver in his witness, nor did he waver in his friendship with me. Far from it, he became even more engaged, answering the questions he could respond to and investigating the questions he couldn't respond to. I like that, don't you? He gave me answers that he knew and said, I'll get back with you on that. All the while, we argued up, argued about the historical foundations of Christianity. He challenged him. He said, this is something I, I want you to do. I want you to go investigate for yourself. He said, after three years of investigating the origins of Christianity, I concluded that the case for Christianity was strong. The Bible could be trusted that Jesus had died on a cross, rose from the dead, and claimed to be God. I was convinced. But then David turned to him and said, I thank you for three years investigating Christianity to see if it's true. Now, why don't you take that same effort and go apply it to Islam? Find out if what you've been taught about Islam is true. And this is what he said. When I finally, he said, I had learned about Muhammad from my imams and my parents, but not from the historical sources themselves. When I finally read the sources, I found that Muhammad was not the man I had thought. Violence and sensuality dripped from the pages of his earliest biographies. The life stories of the, quote, holiest man in history. Shocked by what I learned, I began to learn the, lean on the Koran as my defense but when I turned and I there, that foundation crumbled just as quickly. So he said, I checked out Christianity. It stood true. I checked out Islam. It crumbled. But he had one more obstacle. And that was from the fact, and this is a huge obstacle, folks, from folks from our Muslim background areas. He knew that if he trusted Christ, he would lose his family. He would shame his father, shame his mother. And so he literally was at that point where he was convinced that the gospel is true and Islam was not. But that held him back until one day he was reading in Luke 9 when Jesus said, if anybody's going to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And he said, Lord, I'm willing to die to my family. He became a Christian and he did lose his family because of that. Well, that's the atmosphere we're living in, folks. We have got to present Jesus positively, present the gospel positively, but we've also got to be willing to take the scriptures and say, this is what the Bible says. When I hear what you're saying, it doesn't match up and it doesn't even match reason. So where are we going to find people to be defenders of the faith? I'm going to go back to the original verse that we read that described uh, Apollos in verse 24. It says, a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. Let me give you three characteristics of Apollos that we need to have in our lives if we're going to be good defenders of the faith. Number one, a defender of the faith must have a good grasp of scripture. It said he was competent in the scriptures. The King James says mighty in scriptures. 
Uh, the particular Greek word that's translated mighty in the King James, that same Greek word is found many times in the New Testament. Ten times in the King James it's translated able. Six times it's translated mighty. The, I, I think the CSB had, the, had, had what's after. This is a man who could handle the Bible. He knew it inside and out. And folks, if we're going to survive in this day and time, we've got to be able to know God's word and know how to respond when our faith is challenged. If somebody would come up to you and say, why do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Why do you believe that Christianity is true? Then you need to be able to say from Scripture, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. And to me, one of the saddest things of all is the fact that if you go and read the records, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, folks like that come and knock on doors, you know where they have the biggest uh, crop that they reap from when they go to the South? It's from Baptists and Methodists. Because when they knock on the door of Baptists and Methodists, they don't know their Bible. And they come in and they take a verse here and a verse there out of context, and they're able to have their way because there's no firm grasp of the Scripture. The second characteristic of Apollos that, that we need to have in our lives if we're going to be defenders of the faith today is this. A defender of the faith must have a fire in his heart. Must have a fire in his heart. It's said that he was fervent in spirit in verse 24. That word fervent in the Greek means boiling. He was on fire. Now I believe there are two ways that you can get a fire in your heart, Christian. I think number one, if you stay in the word. I love the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walked with them and opened up the Bible and said, this should not surprise you. And he showed from the Old Testament how the Messiah had to die, how he had to take our place, how he was to rise again. And then after Jesus revealed himself, he was gone. And the first comment they had was this. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Folks, I get that, don't you? When I get up in the morning and I start reading the Bible, it's like it stokes the fire. It puts a fire in my soul. And if you want to be somebody with a fire, you've got to be around. You've got to be taking in the Word. It is a fire to our souls. But a second thing you can do to be an on-fire Christian is hang around on-fire Christians. Hang around on-fire Christians. Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. A companion of fools will suffer harms. Can I just explain something to you? This is a fact of life. It's not just for teenagers. It's for everybody. You become like the crowd you hang with. I heard an old preacher some one time say, if you hang around doubters, you'll doubt. If you hang around powders, you'll pout. If you hang around pigs, you'll stink. But if you hang around shouters, you'll shout. And I would encourage you, make sure that you're in a church where there are people there that are on fire. Not just, not just people going through the motions of cultural Christianity. You want to be around on fire Christians. Let me read you something that was written years ago by a pastor who, pastor who was in Seattle. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I am done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. 
My pace is set. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. And then he says, I won't give up, back up, let up, shut up until I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. I say that's an on-fire Christian, wouldn't you? And then lastly, how are we going to be an on-fire Christian? An on-fire Christian, a, a defender of the faith, a defender on, of the faith is someone who keeps on learning. Here's a man who was one of the greatest preachers of his day already. And preaching about Jesus, but there was more he needed to learn. And he was willing to let a lay couple, a man and a woman, come and talk to him. And he learned from them. He, he continued to learn. Folks, one of the things that we've got to make a commitment to is we've got to be willing to say, I have not grasped it all. There's still so much I've got to get. I'm loving our times, Justin, where we sit together and we talk through the scriptures and and we look at insights. And and there's so much that I'm learning as well as we do this. We, We need to have that where we never come to the place where you say, I've got it now. I'll just rest on this. When I was a college student, our college ministry decided that we had about 50 folks in it, that we'd like to find one church that we'd all go to. So I got appointed to a committee of four, because that's what we fit in the car. And uh, we were tasked with going to some churches, find the right one, come back and report, and then we'll all go to that one. So we went to some of the churches that college students went to and such. But we found a little country Baptist church on the edge of town, Calvary Baptist in Valdosta, Georgia. And they had a pastor who was in his 70s but on fire. I'm, I'm not, when I say on fire, it's not a shouting spitter. You, know, you, you, could, you, could, you could see that he was, he was, you could hear the passion in his heart. He loved Jesus so. He was so longing to be pleasing to God. And the church was so warm and welcoming. And so we came back and said, let's go there. And God confirmed it because once a month they gave us a covered dish dinner. (laughs) So we actually doubled the church in one week. They went from 50 to 100 people. Because it was such a small church, an informal church, the pastor every Sunday, sometime in the middle of the worship of the singing, he would say to them, what's God taught you this week? And I noticed that most weeks there was a little lady in her mid-80s who would stand up And she said, I was in my Bible this week, and God showed me, and she would give the verse, and she would share what she had learned. And I knew from the people that she'd been a Christian since she was a child, had been in that church all her life. And here I was, I was about 18 years old at the time. And I sat there and thought to myself, she's mid-80s, and she's still getting something out of the Bible. And that told me, I can still be learning if I live to my mid-80s. You'll never exhaust it. There's always something more to learn. Well, folks, this day is going to call for people who are willing to be defenders of the faith. It's getting more hostile, but there are three things you're going to have to do. And I'm going to ask you three questions to see if you're ready to become a defender of the faith. Number one, how is your grasp of the Bible? Number two, is there a fire in your heart for Jesus? And number three, are you a lifelong learner in your faith? Will you pray with me about that now? Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. We can't face this day on our own. But you, you have grace that's stronger than 
the pull of the world. You have a Bible that's wiser than anything has been taught in the world. Give us your fire. Give us your power. Give us your scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.